Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, presented by PJ Dick. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, John O'Brien, from the Keystone Contractors Association, and I'm coming to you live from the Quandle Studio, right here in good old central Pennsylvania. Joined, as always, by fellow co-host, Chris Martin. Chris, how's it going, brother? All right, my man. John, it's uh, good to see you today, hear you as well, and uh, welcome everyone to this the latest episode of the Building PA Podcast. Uh, I am Chris Martin. I am the president of Atlas Marketing, and we are based in Sewickley, Pennsylvania, and I encourage you to check us out at atlasstories.com. And like John, coming from the Quandle Studios, I am coming to you from the Stalwart Insurance Studios, and... Uh, Quick reminder, Stalwart is a health benefits and workers' compensation consultancy, and they focus on improving working capital through stronger management insurance spend. Check them out at stalwartinsurance.com. For a little flip in the format, I'm going to introduce our speaker today. So hopefully that doesn't throw too many people off out there in podcast land. Um, I'm I'm messed up already, so I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ah, pulling your hair out. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're going to get back on track. Sorry, John. I don't mean to screw you up. I know. But uh, joining us today is a leader extraordinaire. He's a, a person that I, I look up to and I consider a mentor in terms of helping grow my business and, and um, just helping me in general. His name is Kevin Trout. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Chris. Hey, John. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So for everybody listening, Kevin is a Vistage chair and a former business owner and helps uh, helps people all over the uh, the, the region to, to really improve their business and is a, a true leader. He has his own podcast as well. But, but Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what Vistage is as well. Sure. Thanks, Chris. As you mentioned, I was a business owner. I, I like to say I'm a recovering CEO. <laughs> I had my own company for 16 years. Um, I spent my entire career in medical equipment sales, got into it right out of college and spent the first 15 years working for three different medical equipment manufacturers. And then I started my own business in 1996. I spent the next 16 years growing that company from zero revenues up to 14 million in sales. And I sold that at the beginning of 2011. I did have a five-year employment agreement. I stayed on for five years. Way too long, but it was all good. And then I got to retire at age 59, beginning of 2016. And uh, right after that, I went into the coaching and consulting business. And I've done some predictive index. And uh, I had been a Vistage member for many years when I was a business owner. So I had the opportunity to become a Vistage chair, which means I'm a coach and facilitator of a number of Vistage groups made up of business owners and CEOs and key executives. Uh, Right now I run four different groups. I have over 40 members total and um, we are a peer advisory forum. So big picture on Vistage, Vistage has been around since 1957. We have 24,000 members worldwide in 25 countries. Here in greater Pittsburgh, we have 364 members and we're growing. So I'm one of six Vistage chairs we are the facilitators of 19 groups total, um, and I run four of them. 
So our business model is peer advisory forum. We meet once a month in a strategic session with about 15 or 16 members in each group. And uh, we help them process the most difficult issues, how to take advantage of the opportunities in the marketplace, how to keep an eye on the um, opportunities and the economic trends and how they impact our businesses, how to make those tough decisions. Sometimes we just, we're not sure who to turn to to ask questions. And so we provide confidential feedback and help. We help business leaders make the best possible decisions for themselves, their businesses, their communities, and their employees, and their customers. Did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it did. It's, it's fantastic. And, and I can speak, I'm a Vistage member, and, and uh, full, full disclosure to our audience, um, I am in Kevin, one of Kevin's groups. And, and uh, you know, not that we want to, uh, you know, commercialize Vistage, but the reality of it is, is Vistage has helped me grow my business in the last two years, 20%. Uh, and then also 22%. And it's looking like I'm going to hit 32% this year. So very valuable resource. And, uh, you know, John, I, I know our, our friend Bud Quandle uh, mentioned Vistage when he joined us in a previous episode. And uh, yes. there are a lot of, a lot of other uh, contractors and owners in the industry that take advantage of Vistage. So I don't think it's going to be a big unknown to, to our audience, but uh, nonetheless, Kevin is here to talk to us today about culture and its impact on a business. So we, John and I both felt that this would be a great, great topic to share with, with our audience. So John, you want to fire away? I know you got a ton of questions. Let's start right at the beginning. Like you just want to uh, start at a, at a very high level and just talk about the impact culture can have on a company. And we'll delve down into some questions after that. I think I think culture is the number one most critically important aspect of any company. There's an old saying out there that, you know, revenue cures a lot of ills. I don't think that's true. I've come to believe that revenue cures the bills, culture cures the ills. If your organization has a culture problem, it doesn't matter how good your strategy is or your product or your service, um, you're going to struggle. And I think that as a business leader or a business owner, if you don't intentionally create the culture that you want, a culture will form itself anyway, and it won't be the one you want. And I think that as business leaders, oftentimes I ask, you know, how is your culture? Oh, it's pretty good. It's a typical answer. Can you define it? Uh, well, maybe not so well, right? And, um, and, and a lot of business owners and leaders say, you know, I'd like to improve our culture, but they don't really know how. And uh, I think that's one of the things that we bring to the table at Vistage is we have a pretty, pretty solid method of helping businesses create the culture they want. So there is an eight-step plan to create the culture you want, drive it through the organization for the long term. And I probably would, would point out the key aspect, rather than go through all eight of them, I think one of the key aspects of creating the culture you want is when you understand what your mission, vision, and values are, which most companies do define, take the values component and look at those values as um, a noun, right? These are nouns. The next step is to take those values and describe behaviors that represent those values very specifically. So the behaviors are the verbs tied back to the values, which are the nouns. And so I would look at it this way. For example, um, if you said one of our values is 
rapid response to uh, customer inquiries. Okay, great. What does that really mean? If you ask a number of different people within the organization, you're going to get a lot of different answers if it's not well-defined. Some people might say, well, as long as I get back to them today, that's good. Or somebody might say, well, as long as we get back to them in 24 hours, which is basically tomorrow. And then the owner says, wait a minute, it should be two hours or less. Well, it hasn't been defined. And unless you actually define that particular behavior to tie back to the value that you, that you have established, you really don't have the right culture. So it's important to define the behaviors that represent the culture, right? Teamwork, what does that really mean? Well, it means being responsive to your colleagues and you can get very specific on the behaviors that you would like to see that would represent that value. And so you have to work through that. It's not something that the leader or the boss creates out of the thin air on his own. It should be a collaborative effort and um, really have a dialogue with the leadership team. Let's define what the behaviors are that represent the values that we have in our company. And then let's live those behaviors and let's expect that from everyone else. And it makes a huge difference. That to me is probably the key in getting started and creating the culture that you want. And there's other things to do. It's, it's gotta be part of the hiring process. It's gotta be hard, part of the onboarding process. It's gotta be part of the performance review process. But you gotta live the values and you've gotta see the behaviors that represent that. I totally on board, totally agree with your points there. It was uh, good stuff. Um, if you could go back in time, to, uh, I think you said the mid '90s when you started your company, your 16-year company. Was it 16 years you ran the company? I believe. Yeah, I started in '96 and sold it in 2011. If you could go back in time, how would you describe your culture in those late '90s? <laughs> I thought I had a good culture, and for the most part, I had a I had a good leadership team. Um, I had really great salespeople. But I had a lot of operations people. I, I, I uh, ended up with 60 employees, um, wow. six of them in sales, five in leadership, and most everyone else was in operations and admin. And I think that depart those departments, the culture might not have been as good as I was hoping. Um, I think a good indication was my turnover rate, right? I didn't realize what my turnover rate was. I thought it was, I didn't lose salespeople, but I did, I did churn through some operations people. When I sold my, here's the funny part. When I sold my company, I had to clean out some old file cabinets and I go through all of these um, past employee files. There were people in there I didn't even remember. <laughs> when did this person work for? I don't even remember that person. And, and I think my turnover rate was probably 25% in that area. And I didn't realize it until I pulled those files and like, wow, okay, that's not good. Um, I think culture is incredibly important, but it has to be intentional. It has to be strategic. Mm -hmm. I think my goal was to have a good culture, but I don't know that we executed on it as well as we could have or should have because we hadn't identified the behaviors that we wanted to see. Until somebody didn't behave properly, then I had to have that harsh conversation, right? (laughs) Which is not the right way to drive your culture through the organization. You got to create it up front as opposed to ex post facto after somebody screwed up or did something wrong. So on a scale of one to 10, I would give my culture a six. Okay. That's a long answer to a short question. But. <laughs> six out of 10, looking back on something, that's not, that's not bad. Yeah. There was clearly some things I could have done better. 
I was just going to say, knowing you, that was going to be the next response is you, there's always things you could do better. But, so from a, from a business perspective, like what do you, what do you see as some of the challenges for, for people? You, know, you kind of laid one out there, which is understanding your, you know, understanding your, your, uh, the, the mission and values and where you're going and to define the behaviors you expect. But w- what are some of the challenges that, that you see business owners are facing beyond that? Okay, beyond, beyond culture, I would say this is what I learned, that there are four stages of growth in almost every business. The first stage is, it's like driving a manual transmission car. Those of us our age probably took our driver's test on a manual transmission car, right? Be careful, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I did too. I did too. Um, first gear. The owners wearing all the hats, right? You're going out there. The goal is to just get some momentum going, forward momentum, get some cash coming in, get some clients on the books. And the owner wears all the hats. He's doing everything. And as you start to get some momentum, you got to shift into second gear. That's when you start to hire a few people, such as an office admin or a part-time bookkeeper or maybe a couple of salespeople, um, maybe a billing person. And so you've got this small group of people all reporting to the owner and that's second gear you start to really pick up some speed and and that can last a fairly long time the 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 beauty of second gear is profits tend to be pretty high at that point Um, however when you keep rolling forward and you keep hiring people and everybody reports to the owner you go from having four or five or six people reporting to the owner to having 10, 12, 15 people all reporting to the owner. That's not manageable because the problem is leaders can really only manage about six to eight people, max direct reports. So when you get into that 10, 12, 15 employee range, then the business owner sort of becomes a bottleneck and he doesn't always realize it or she doesn't always realize it. So there's a point where you got to push in the clutch and shift into third gear. Third gear is when you start to bring in some professional managers, people who have some experience in a leadership role, and you sort of build a leadership team around you, and you have them in charge of each of the separate departments. You have them in charge of the billing or an admin. You have to charge them in operations. Somebody's in charge of sales. Um, and you have a bookkeeper, or now you go to a controller, right? And so you have the rest of the employees reporting to that small management or leadership team and the leadership team reports to the owner. Yeah, the owner's still working in the business. He's out there driving some sales. Maybe he's not um, making all the sales calls. He's going on the big important sales calls with the salespeople. So here's here's the dilemma that I have seen. Second gear, profits are higher. Everybody's reporting to the owner. The owner makes all the decisions. Things are cruising along. And they realize, gosh, if I hire professional leaders, my profits are going to shrink. And I'm not sure I want that. Well, yes, your profits will shrink, but it's an investment in the future. And so you've got to reinvest the profits coming in into the business so you can continue to grow it. Otherwise, it sort of stagnates. So if the owner is willing to push in the clutch, move into third gear, invest in hiring those professional management people, then they start to cruise along and then you'll you'll you won't be a lot of profits in third gear but when you get the fourth gear which is when your leadership team has built out a solid team of people underneath them 
the owner steps away from working um, tactically in the business on a day-to-day -day basis, and he's basically the face of the company. This is when profits reappear exponentially greater than they ever could have been if they stayed in second gear. And that's the real holdup is the reluctance of most business leaders to push in the clutch from second gear to third gear because they're real happy with the profits, you know, in that latter period of being in second gear, you really got a lot of momentum. But here's the trick. Not only do you have to push in the clutch and get into all four gears, because fourth gear is sort of cruise control. The owner's working 30 to 35 hours a week, doesn't work in the business, he works on the business, right? And he's got all these people that are really generating a lot of the revenue and his job is to grow the people underneath them and support them, give them what they need. But he doesn't actually work in the business and profits are much greater. To get to that nirvana, <laughs> you gotta go through th third gear. It's a little painful. The real trick is to know when to push in the clutch between each of those gears, because if you don't push in the clutch soon enough, you're gonna burn off the engine. Well, guess who the engine is? It's the owner. Yeah. He's working 50, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, maybe even 80, no work-life balance, right? You're gonna burn up the owner. So um, if you push the clutch in, that's if you're pushing the clutch in too late. If you push the, push the clutch in too soon, you stall the engine because now you're, you don't have enough to cover your overhead because you spent too much money in the investment to go into the second or third gear, right? So I really think the timing of pushing the clutch is important, knowing when to do that. But I also think if you really want to grow your business to that ultimate destination of where you want to take it, You've got to be willing to, to go through all four gears. Get the fourth gear. You've got to go through first, second, and third gear. A lot of sleepless nights, right? right? A lot of worries about how am I going to make payroll, but ultimately it's all worth it. I went through all four stages. Um, fourth gear was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and when I sold my business, I had built the value up uh, so that the value of the, of the business um, gave me a very good sale price. I wouldn't have been able to sell for nearly as much if I would have remained in second gear or even third gear. So that's my, that's my analogy. I think that's the coolest analogy we've had on the building PA podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And it applies to any business construction, manufacturing. It doesn't matter. Yeah. That's sort of universal and every, it doesn't matter if it's a product or, or you're a service provider. You got to go through those, those stages and phases. I'm picturing my, my first car, which was a 1969 um, VW Bug, and you know, <laughs> shifting from first to second to third, and uh, praying to God it doesn't pop out in fourth and all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, I agree with you, John. Th that is a, a really really valuable lesson there. But so so let me let me pull it back. Of those four gears, how important is culture? in all of those like what's the role that culture plays from say second gear to third gear as the owner gives up that i guess the reins of the or the keys if you will in the, in the analogy how important is that culture for to to really get and, and amplify those profits and help build the business i think culture is critically important to establish it in second gear when everybody's reporting to the owner when you get into third gear it's even more important because Companies break in the middle. If you think about that, the weak the weak part is the leadership team. And if you if you have the leadership, not that they're weak, it's just that if you don't establish 
what the culture you want it to be with that leadership team that you put in place in third gear and make sure they live it, right? Um, and they drive it through their departments on a regular daily basis. That's where you, it can fall apart on you. And sometimes owners, if they're not aware of their culture, bringing in that middle management or that leadership team, the culture changes. And it sometimes it doesn't change dramatically. Sometimes it just drifts and it drifts in the wrong direction. Like a ship at sea that's lost its destination on the horizon. And then the next thing you know, you wake up one day and say, my culture is not what it used to be. How did we get here? Could you maybe, uh, on, on behalf of our membership and a lot of our listeners, kind of touch on the role of culture when you depend and you rely on other companies? And I'm thinking about, you know, a general contractor is building a hospital, for example. He's going to rely on, you know, 20, 30 different sub and specialty contractors and consultants. And and if if this general contractor is considered a high culture positive company um just kind of the impact if if they get aligned with cancer culture companies whatever and just maybe touch on that for a little bit i think it's very valuable as a as a construction company or manufacturer to make sure that you literally advertise what your company culture is to your vendors and your customers I think that's really important. And you, you've had someone on your podcast, Jeff McQueen from the McQueen Building Company. Yes. Who is, he is so on top of his company culture. I would call him one of the masters in the construction trade of culture within his organization. He's a great example of how he connects his company's culture with his vendors, suppliers, and customers as well. He does a phenomenally great job at that. And yes, so my answer to your question is, I think it's really, really important. It's not that hard to do. It just, it has to be, our culture is part of our calling card. Mm -hmm. Define it, explain it, and live it. Yeah, I, I like that because that, that becomes part of the story that you're telling people. And, and how that, that culture attracts other like cultures. Like we just, to Kevin's point, we did have Jeff on. Um, but we also had um, Eric Pescucci and Tom Price on talking about how the culture of a project can can really is it a success or not, and and that was one of the things that they talked about is is communicating in advance and and finding like minded subcontractors or designers, architects, um, specialty contractors all working on the same project, and that's where I, I could see the whole industry kind of becoming this culture-led uh, focus of, you know, I want to work with the right people, the same people, because that's going to how we're going to all be successful as well. I think it was Peter Drucker that said, um, culture eats strategy for lunch. And I don't think I fully comprehended that statement for a long time until really started to learn more about the intentional culture. David McGlennon is a culture coach and he's come and he's spoken to several of my business groups. I think, um, Chris, he spoke to, to your group. Um, yes. McQueen he's going to be on the podcast here soon. Yeah, yeah. Yes. David yeah. really can, can really articulate the eight steps to an intentional culture. Yeah. Um, and I think I learned as I'm getting older, I'm learning more and more that culture trumps everything. And, and you may not want to believe that as a business leader, but you're going to learn the hard way, just like I did. <laughs> 
which I think is awesome. You learn the hard way. You got the lessons learned, and you're able to communicate that to others that you're coaching. So you yeah. talk with experience. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and well, Kevin, for those that are listening, this is Kevin Trout, and he's a Vistage chair, and he's joined us on the Building PA podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us. Um, and also, too, uh, this episode is going to be part of the Keystone Contractor Magazine upcoming issue that we focus on culture as well and its impact on the industry. Uh, that's our next kind of feature article within the uh, the magazine. So this is going to support that as well. So Kevin, thank you so much. I just want to say thanks too. The, the analogy is awesome. You know, I was taking notes while you were talking. So. <laughs> hey, thank, thank you both for having me. I appreciate it and, and allowing me to, to uh, share some of my past experience as a business owner entrepreneur and yeah i got to start with nothing and build it up and sell it off so i i, I like to say i've been to the promised land no no offense to any but <laughs> that works man thank you so much kevin thanks for joining us hey yeah, thanks kevin. for having me guys thank you for joining the building pa podcast presented by pj dick to stay up to date follow us on linkedin and facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.